Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent, Independent Republic of... Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are, of course, here uh, with you for the start of the week. It is the beginning of yet another extraordinary period uh, in politics. Parliament is actually back today, uh, so the MPs will be forced to answer questions. All sorts of things will be raised with them, not least the roofs of certain schools, hundreds of schools possibly, potentially, uh, which are under threat today and uh, maybe under threat tomorrow of closure. This is the week that parents bring their kids back to school or into school for the first time. It's It's a pretty nerve-wracking time for an awful lot of them. Um, And what they don't need is an awful lot of uncertainty. And what they have right now is an awful lot of uncertainty. Because at the end of the day, nobody knows really whether, particularly in Wales, any particular school has a roof that's about to collapse. It's a very strange story. Uh, I never thought I'd be talking this much about concrete ever again. But here we are. Uh, Concrete is a massive problem. It hasn't been put together properly. It hasn't been built properly. It hasn't been used properly. It's growing out of all proportion. And the story itself is a growing scandal of course for Rishi Sunak the Prime Minister uh, so who says concrete doesn't grow because this I tell you is the biggest story of the week and we'll be covering it all over the place we want to hear from all of you because you will be our eyes and ears if your school has been shut down if you've been told as a parent that you don't bring your children to school you'll have to go work from home uh, do remote learning that is going to be a massive problem not just for the children but also for the parents of course 0344 499 1000 we all know how bad it was uh, for parents who had to look after their children during the covid lockdown when schools were shut it was a nightmare and we also know how bad it was for the kids mental health suffered uh, learning suffered they didn't learn really very much of anything at all we're going to talk to brendan chilton first up this morning uh, of course we're going to find out from him what's going on in his neck of the woods we're hearing in essex they're about to shut a load of schools and we'll get the latest on that from their counselors but also we'll be talking about rishi sunak and how this really does come down to him and what he does next because one person tells me that the money is going to come from the government. Another person tells me it's not. So who actually knows? Meanwhile, we're told there's some kind of Keir Starmer reshuffle going on. Not particularly interesting unless he catapults Angela Rayner outside of the box, as it were. And he tells her that she's no longer welcome in the inner circle of the Labour Party. Also, we'll be talking about the massive migrant numbers over the weekend. Yet another record was made, of course. We'll also be talking about the energy bill, uh, which comes into effect and is voted upon tomorrow in Parliament. Uh, We're going to be talking about that too. Uh, Also, uh, we'll be talking about the world of woke. And the latest from the world of woke is that people are working in councils, not only from home, but from the beach. 
they're actually not bothering to even come back to the home country in which they live and in which they supposedly work. They're just working from Dubai, from Croatia, from Brazil, from the Caribbean, wherever they fancy being, that's where they are. Unbelievable. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Also, we'll be talking ULEZ because guess what? Up in Glasgow, they've worked out that having compared the air quality this year since the ULEZ has come in, and last year when it wasn't there, the air quality, the pollution, has actually got worse. So there's a lesson for you, Mr. Sadiq Khan. Once again, we'll ask you publicly, as we always do, uh, why don't you come on this radio show, why don't you come on this TV show and answer some questions about what it is that you think you're doing. Because there's no evidence that in Glasgow it isn't working. So why are you doing it? 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Good morning and welcome to what is supposedly going to be one of the hottest, possibly hottest days of the year, certainly down in London, it's like where you are. Uh, they're claiming uh, that the misty kind of, you know, hazy uh, weather is going to give rise to very, very high temperatures, could be as high as 33 degrees. Well, I don't know if that's going to happen, but it didn't seem that hot when I came in today. And it did seem very quiet on the roads when I was thinking uh, some of the schools are going to start going back probably tomorrow, uh, possibly Wednesday as well. And so in the end, I'm surprised it's quite as quiet as it is. So we want to hear from all of you, of course, with what is going on. What are you hearing about the concrete scenario? Uh, what are you being told by the schools? What are you also hearing? Because about it's not just about schools, about your local hospital. Let's talk to Brendan Chilton, CEO, Independent Business Network, of course. Brendan, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you, Mike. It's very yeah. warm down here in Kent. Yes, but it is, of course, the Garden of England, so you're in the right place, you know. And there's plenty of nice pubs down there to chill out in the afternoon, so I wouldn't worry too much. Um, I'm let's... a teetotaler, I wouldn't know. <laughs> well, you can, have a, you can have a nice orange juice in the sun. Um, what about uh, what is going on in, in the world of concrete? It is extraordinary, isn't it, that this story has suddenly kind of bubbled up, if you'll pardon the expression, out of nowhere. Um who on their right minds would have built school buildings or hospital buildings knowing that they would have a shelf life of 30 years? It's sort of beggar's belief, really. And people are really struggling to get their heads around it. I don't know what the situation is in Kent where you are. You were a councillor uh, down in Ashford there. Uh, what, what's being said down there? Well, there, as far as I'm aware, the latest figures are there are seven schools in Kent that are closed uh, because of this uh, concrete problem. Um, one of them is about a mile and a half from where I am. And of course, these buildings, a lot of them uh, are quite old. Well, say old, they're, they're old relative to some of the developments that go up. They're around 30 to 40 years old and uh, uh, quite right. You know, whoever came up with the idea of putting in concrete that only has got a shelf life of 30 years. It really is extraordinary, mm. especially when you've got some schools in the country that have stood for nearly a thousand years uh, and they don't seem to have problems with funny concrete yes. in their room. Um, and as you said, this is not just a problem for schools, it's also a problem for hospitals. And unfortunately, this is something you do see, uh, particularly amongst government procurement, where they might go for the cheapest option or the option that gets the building put up quickest, but actually isn't really a sustainable long-term structure uh, where you can guarantee the building will be in good nick for a good 50 to 100 years. And we, we're seeing more and more of this recently. And it just adds to that general impression that the country is sort of falling apart and nothing's really yes. working. 
Well, I mean, the Labour Party are, are, are quite rightly, I suppose, picking on it as as, as a kind of allegory uh, or an indicator of what it's been like living under Tory rule for the last 12 years, that everything's now literally crumbling down around our, our ears. But my suspicion is that it probably won't be quite as bad as everybody's making out to be. But because of this health and safety nightmare in which we now live, they shut everything down uh, before they know whether they need to. Yes, and of course it adds as well to the disruption that children have had in their education for the last four to five years. Uh, when we were in the lockdowns and, and the pandemics and all the rest of it, we've got an entire generation of kids uh, that are meant to have gone through the primary sector that have had their education, frankly, completely messed up uh, because of government, first of all, uh, shutting down schools. And now uh, governments of varying degrees are not ensuring that we've got that ad adequate public infrastructure in place. Uh, so we're having to shut schools and send kids home when they should be back in the class rooms learning. Um, I think, of course, there is perhaps a slight, uh, how to say, over-egging of the pudding when it comes to the enforcement of the health and safety aspects yeah. to this. I'm pretty sure uh, children could be moved to other parts of the building or into temporary uh, learning units, etc. Um, but we are where we are, uh, and I'm pretty sure this story will be around for a few weeks. And as you say, Labour will uh, enjoy it. The Tories will be embarrassed by it. But the wider point here, Mike, is I think it adds, as I said earlier, to that feeling that things just aren't working. And there's no sense really at the moment from, from anywhere in politics that someone's got a grand plan or a grand vision or, or any sort of strategy to get yeah. this country back to where it needs to be. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, because for me, what this signifies is not so much a failure of the last 13 years or so of Tory rule, but a failure of all governments to actually do anything which is other than short term. You know, clearly this has been happening since the 1950s. It went on through the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. You know, it wasn't known, it was only 2018, I think, in Kent when a school roof collapsed that it was first brought to anybody's attention. So, I mean, it's kind of unfair in a way to blame everybody who's now in government for something that was done years ago. But it just shows, doesn't it, that, that you and I have spoken about this many times, that, you know, there just doesn't seem to be a government that we've had for a very, very long time that has done anything to look forward into anything more than about three years. Well, I think uh, to quote Mrs Thatcher, I mean, the Labour Council are doing this, uh, perhaps what we need is someone to set up a company called Rent-A-Spine and we could <laughs> loan them out to whoever comes in. Uh, because I, I do think you're right, there is this sense that everything's about the short term, responding to the latest fad on Twitter mm. or so-and-so you know, -so said something slightly controversial, so let's spend six weeks reporting it. No, sort out the infrastructure of the country, get our manufacturing industry back, get our bloody economy growing, mm. for God's I mean, it's a dire situation we're in at the moment where we've got mounting costs in the public sector and all sorts of other social commitments, but no plan to get this economy really growing. Yeah, uh, that's where we should really be driving our attention. Uh, but unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be happening. Um, I would just like someone to come along and say to the British people, you're not going to like me. It's going to be pretty rough. But at the end of it, this country is going to be back to where it needs to be. Uh, and that's frankly what we need. A politician. I hope it's not too early to say this with balls. Yes, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But we so far don't seem to have any at all uh, between a whole bunch of people. But the other problem for me uh, is that this is not just about schools. Everyone's kind of focusing on schools. But clearly there's an awful lot of other public buildings that were put up in the same rather ramshackle manner, including some hospitals. And I'd be a bit more worried, actually. It's much easier to close a school than it is to shut a hospital, isn't it? It is indeed. And, and we did have, I think it was last year, uh, the scandal up and down the country where various hospitals were falling apart. You know, uh, roofs were coming yeah. in and 
cement coming off the walls and things. And that is a much more serious issue because, as you say, you know, move, telling 100 kids to stay at home for a few days while we sort that out is slightly different to having to move cancer patients or very elderly residents or people with mobility problems and finding alternative places for them to stay. Mm. Um, and again, it, it just adds, doesn't it? You know, the schools are falling apart. The hospitals are falling apart. We've now got to a situation, Mike, just to add to this, where the Highways Authority is removing the tarmac off the roads what? so they don't have to fill in the potholes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Well, somebody <laughs> said to me at the weekend, you know, maybe we should just all go back to horses and carts, you know. Uh, maybe they prefer that sort of dirt no, no, tracks. I won't have that. She you will know. not have it. She's got a horse, Mike. She won't like it. No, I mean... <laughs> This is the thing, you know, and also, isn't it sort of ironic that here we are in 2023, edging towards the autumn, when we've spent the last three years people trying to get into hospital, now they're desperately trying to get the hell out of them before the roof falls in. I'm sorry to laugh. I know. Well, you've got to laugh. I mean, you just have to. Uh, we're going to come back in a moment for you uh, because I want to talk to you about councils because you're a bit of an expert in local councils. And this ridiculous story today, front page of the Daily Mail, basically saying uh, that there's 73 uh, approvals in 2021 uh, for this. There's now 440 uh, in 2022. Now 700 people are taking part in what they're calling the remote working revolution abroad, which means they can actually work from anywhere. You don't have to work from home anymore. You can just work from wherever you fancy, including the beaches of Dubai, Spain, Australia, Thailand, Croatia, South Africa. I mean, the list goes on. We'll come back to you, Brendan, in a moment and ask you more about that. It's an incredible story, ridiculous situation. We want to hear from all of you, of course. Chris in Horsham says this. Our local school is closed today. Crumbling concrete? No. Useless inset day. Yeah, we'll get all that, won't we? Uh, this is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. You'll know uh, from a very long time ago uh, that basically I've said that working from home is always going to be a bad idea. People have changed uh, their views on it over time. Some people who thought it was great now don't think it's great. An awful lot of big companies who thought, yeah, it's fantastic, now don't think it's fantastic and want people in the office, even if it's only three days a week. But we now have a public sector uh, which is ridden, uh, riven rather, with people who not only work from home, but work from wherever they fancy working from, including a load of foreign countries. Uh, I've got some breaking news for you as well. An independent expert panel uh, has said this morning that former Cabinet Minister Sir Gavin Williamson should apologise to MPs for buying former Chief Whip Wendy Morton uh, tickets uh, for uh, uh, for the, the late Queen's funeral after he was not, uh, or for, sorry, for bullying former Chief Whip Wendy Morton after he was not allocated tickets to the late Queen's funeral. I mean... All a bit after the Lord Mayor's show, isn't it? But of course, it is uh, a year to the to the week uh, that the, the death of the Queen uh, absolutely focused all our minds here on uh, on the nation. Uh, we'll talk about that coming up as we go throughout the course of this week. But let's go back to Brendan Chilton, who is uh, uh, our man in Ashford Council. He was the man that was, uh, of course, one of the acceptable faces of the Labour Party all the way through COVID, uh, and still is really. Um, but Brendan, this is an extraordinary story, isn't it? Council employees have been allowed to log in for weeks, months and even years from far-flung destinations. And these are all as a result of freedom of information requests. I mean, they've been living in places like Spain, Australia, Dubai, Brazil, India, Italy, France, Thailand, the Philippines, Jamaica, Croatia, South Africa, Turkey, Egypt, Gran Canaria and Indonesia. Great. It's all right for some, isn't it? 
Nice work if you can get it. Yes. Uh, but I, I, I think this is unacceptable. Uh, my, during the lockdowns, we rallied against this notion that working from home was good. Actually, something I'm seeing, not just in the public sector, but in the private sector, is a growing demand uh, from workers and employees to actually have more time in the office. Mm. Uh, because where people are spending so much time at home, uh, doing what we're doing now on, on Zoom and on Teams, uh, they're not getting that usual camaraderie that they would get with their colleagues. They're not getting that, you know, the sort of snippets of information that make a business or a public sector work when you're, you know, you're making your coffee in the kitchen and your manager says, oh, by the way, blah, you know, that kind of dynamic that makes a successful workforce. People are crying out for it again. And so I think local councils and indeed businesses need to be saying to their employees, we're not saying you've got to be in the office all the time, but you do need to be in the office. Yes. Uh, at least half the week, because not only does it have a positive impact on that relationship building among colleagues, uh, managers get to know their staff better. It also has a very important economic impact. Uh, if you've got hundreds of people going into a council office or into a business uh, park, mm. they're going to be spending their money on lunchtimes in the cafes, in the bars, yeah. after work, etc. So for retail, it's important too. And so I hope uh, that we will see more people coming back. And certainly any council uh, that's got someone living in some far-flung place having gin and tonics at three o'clock in the afternoon when they should be working uh, needs to be got rid of and someone that's doing a proper job brought in. I mean, I've got Alan in Pickering's come up with a good idea. He says, good news, Mike, move the kids into the empty council offices and there's a result for you. Well, I mean, <laughs> somewhere you could, you could have some, uh, some remote learning. But I mean, that is another issue, isn't it? Because an awful lot of council offices uh, are now sitting largely empty because hardly anybody's actually going into them. And some councils, I know, are considering selling them off. Now, again, if they do that, if they own them and they have the right to do that, surely that money should go back into the coffers of, of the poor council taxpayers, shouldn't it? Well, Mike, funny you should say this. My very own council is considering selling off its own... There you uh, go and building um, because we've got so many people working from home I would like to see uh, our people back in the office I'd like to see a proper business case for mm. it um, but it's something isn't it you know that councils they're not only doing this because staff are working from home but because frankly most councils in this country or need a large number of them are nearly bankrupt they've got yeah, no money right. uh, they're having to sell their own offices uh, to bring in the cash yet council tax continues to rise tax in this country is another subject we'd be here all day Oh. We're over we're overregulated, we're overburdened. We need someone to get up there and sort it out. Absolutely right. Well, I got a message over the weekend from somebody who lives up in Cheshire uh, who was told uh, over the weekend by their council, uh, thanks very much indeed for all of the recycling that you've been doing. From now on, we will only recycle your garden waste uh, if you pay us a subscription of money, uh, which accounts to, I mean, not a massive amount, but about 65 or £70 pounds a year. But that's already on top of their increased council tax bill. So this is obviously the way they're going to go. They're going to start charging for individual services that are already supposed to be covered by the council tax. It, it's an extraordinary situation. And unfortunately, this story was ever thus. Mm. You know, income tax was introduced in this country uh, to pay off the debts that we had after the Napoleonic Wars. It's still bloody with us. Uh, you know, so these new uh, charges on these other things you're talking about will be here as well. I do think we need to have a very serious, a very serious conversation in this country mm. about taxation. At the moment, people are paying more and more money, whether it's in council tax, in, uh, income tax, business rates, capital gains, uh, VAT, charges for local services. We're paying more and more and more and getting less and less and less. It's not 
equitable and you cannot continue to drain the profit making part of the economy the business sector the private sector to subsidize the other part of the public uh, the public sector which is forever growing bigger that way lies ruin mm. and we need someone frankly as i said earlier on with the balls to stand up in parliament and say this cannot carry on yes exactly right well said um you know um, there's a labor party a supposed shadow cabinet reshuffle going on today we've just had the first news from it jim mcmahon has stepped down from the shadow cabinet as shadow environment secretary this won't come as a great shock to most people because they probably won't know who Jim McMahon is. Um, but I have to say, somebody in the Labour Party has obviously gone to Sir Keir Starmer. Yeah, this is a good time to move a few people about, get rid of Angela Rayner during the concrete scandal, the concrete crisis. Um, but, I mean, I suppose the only thing anybody cares about in this particular reshuffle is what does happen to Angela Rayner because it seems to me um, that although she's very popular with the rank and file, she doesn't seem part of old uh, comrade Keir's project. Well, Mike, just to say before we get into this, my my phone hasn't rung yet. <laughs> I don't think it will. Anyway, but the, keep um, it on. Yeah, keep it on, just in case, you know. Uh, but um, I think it would be very difficult for Keir to uh, demote Angela in any significant way. Uh, she is elected as deputy leader of the Labour Party uh, in her own right. Um, and that does carry a position and a weight and a respect within the Labour Party. Uh, we're not surprised, I think, by the uh, removal of Jim McMahon, uh, although, you know, very nice and decent man. I think perhaps he hasn't necessarily made that impact uh, that he ought to have done uh, in the shadow cabinet. Um, there are rumours about other people that are going to be moved. But I think this is Keir Starmer getting his team ready uh, for the general election, which could come any time from the autumn to the autumn of next year. We are now in that home straight run. And having your best people in the best positions is absolutely key uh, if Labour is to get out there and get that majority that it needs. Whoever gets up in, whoever ends up in whatever position in some ways is irrelevant. What we actually need is the Labour Party to spell out in more detail how it is going to grow the economy, mm. uh, because that is going to be the issue that the next election is fought on, getting our economy working and driving up living standards. And at the moment, I don't think we're getting anything from the government. But we're getting a little bit from Labour, but I think we need a lot, lot more if we're to get the party over the line in time for the general election. Absolutely right. Now, just to, to finish up, highest number of channel crossings this year, 872 migrants arrived in one day. The boat's still not being stopped. Um, John says uh, here on the same theme... Uh, we should put the illegal migrants into the empty council offices on the strict understanding that they answer the phones. That's what you call a win-win. Well, I mean, that might work as well. But this is a massive issue problem for not only Rishi Sunak, but it will be, if he becomes the next prime minister, a massive problem for Keir Starmer as well. Because the people, and particularly the people of, of your county in Kent, have had enough, haven't they? Uh, it is now really, Mike, getting to, to an, an unacceptable level. I was over on the constant just a few weeks ago on a World War One battlefield tour. It's a niche thing I do. Um, and as I was driving back to Calais, you could see, and I, I'm not exaggerating, almost hundreds of people walking up the motorways heading towards Calais. Right. It seems to me that the problem is not necessarily the beaches. It's what the French are doing and what the European Union is doing. They are simply allowing people to cross the continent, to get to the coast, and come to uh, England. Now, as you're, you're right to say, if Keir Starmer wins, this is an issue that's got to be dealt with. And we must remember, these people are being trafficked. They are being trafficked almost as slaves, yeah. uh, being charged extortionate amounts of money, their lives put at risk. We had the uh, the sinking of the boat at Calais just a few weeks ago. We had that one last year where a lot of people lost their lives, and we've had very near misses where the Royal Naval lifeboats had to go out and rescue people. Um, 
it needs to stop. And I think we're paying all this money to France, Mike. But I tell you, you, you go over there for the day. Mm. They don't seem to be doing anything no. with it. They're doing absolutely nothing, nothing yeah. whatsoever. But this is the thing. I think we're also learning more and more that, and I've been saying this for a long time, it's not so much that a lot of these people are paying money to actually travel across. Some of them might be, but an awful lot of them are getting indebted and enslaved in order to do it. So they'll get the passage. They'll be told when they get to to England, uh, you now owe us five grand or whatever it is, and you'll have to go to such and such a place to go and work it off. And that's the way the system is working, I think, for an awful lot of people. And that's why it's so insidious and so ghastly. You're completely right. And, you know, we get all these politicians saying, oh, let's apologise for the slave trade 300 years ago or whatever it was. Why aren't they doing something about the slave trade that's happening mm. now yes. uh, across the very shores, just a few miles from where I'm sitting? Um, the other aspect to this, Mike, as well, is remember when that boat sank a few years ago, last year, I believe it was, I think it's 20 or something people died. Yeah. The very next day, the British and French authorities somehow managed to find five or six human traffic gang leaders and arrest them. You know, did it take a sinking mm. boat to get these people arrested? Uh, they must have some sort of idea who these people mm. are. There's a trail of money nowadays. You, you can't pay anything without there being a trail. Um, so where's the money going? Who's got the money? Well, what bank accounts it is in? What are the banks doing about this? This money isn't sitting in black sacks under someone's bed. It's in an account somewhere. Uh, you know, £40,000 or whatever it is to get to England. You know, this happens 20 times. Mm. Uh, banks should be asking questions of the person uh, whose money this is going into. Um, the people are fed up with it. The particular issue we've also got in Kent is Kent houses all of the unaccompanied young adults yes uh, they are all put in kent now i think we need a far more equitable distribution across the country because at the moment the uh, kent uh, county council services are having to pay for this they're not getting barely any support from government and at the moment there is a legal battle between our kent county council and the government over this um but unfortunately our geography means we are always going to have to deal with this because uh, we're the closest part of england to right. the con and uh, I, I don't know if there have been any crossings today, but there certainly have been uh, last week. Uh, and we are, despite Rishi Sunak's efforts, seeing more and more people crossing the channel. And I think from my, my own eyes, uh, when I was over on the continent, the problem is in France because they are not stopping people moving to the coast. And you can clearly identify who these people are. They've got their rucksacks on. They look a bit dishevelled. They're walking up the motorway. They're not going to Calais because it's a dump. They're going to the coast mm. to get to England. And nothing's being done about it. No, it's absolutely shocking. Brendan, great to see you again, as ever. Thanks very much indeed. Keep that phone on just in case you get the call. Brendan Chilton, CEO of the Independent Business Network, also talking about uh, the Labour Party and its reshuffle. We'll keep you updated with all that. Jim McMahon, uh, the first victim of that, he stepped down from the shadow cabinet. Won't mean much to many of you, uh, but we'll be bringing you the latest on that uh, just in case anything exciting does happen. Reem Ibrahim coming up next, though, because there's another story that we want to bring to your attention. And that is some data that has come in uh, from the government itself, actually, uh, in which it's revealed that potentially people are working um, and not working in as many numbers in Glasgow, in Birmingham, in Liverpool and in Blackpool. According to the Department for Work and Pensions database, there are up to a fifth of the people who should be working in those cities not working and claiming benefits. Why, we ask? Because we know there are jobs there. This is Talk TV.
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got an awful lot going on today because it is supposedly, for one thing, uh, possibly going to be the hottest day of the year. It may not be hot where you are, but we will keep you up to date with all of that. Uh, many of you sending uh, uh, messages to me to tell me uh, about how much you pay for uh, the removal of garden waste. Apparently loads of councils have been charging to remove garden waste for a very long time. Well, mine doesn't, um, partly because uh, certainly in London, uh, I don't have a garden. <laughs> so if I had garden waste, that would be a bit weird. Uh, Mick says, Mike, I know a civil servant who works remotely from a golf course in Spain where he has another job. Uh, from George, he says, Mike, a Gravesham Council charged £54 per annum for a large garden bin. They collect once a fortnight. I have to say they are excellent bin men, uh, all men around here. I haven't seen a bin person and they provide a great service. I prefer this to creepy crawlies invading my car uh, from black garden sacks. Would like it to be free, but not everyone wants the service. So I suppose it's fair. See, I don't think it is fair. I think the problem with people in this country is that they basically accept what they're told. You get a bill from somewhere and they go, oh, I better pay for something which I've never paid for. You already pay council tax. They should have it as part of the council tax. They should include it as part of the service that they provide. Why should they charge you extra money to take away your bins? Why don't you ask them, as a matter of interest, exactly how much of the money that you give them for your council tax, which I imagine is quite substantial, probably somewhere in the order of now um, at least fifteen to two, £1,502,000 most people are now paying. And it could be even more than that. Some people are paying 2500 a year. Some people are paying 3000 a year. Council tax just keeps going up and up and up. The services get worse and worse and worse. And once they start chipping away at what it is that you pay for, and they start asking you to pay for the removal of garden waste, the next thing will happen is they'll ask you for the removal of recyclable materials. And then they'll go... Actually, do you know what? We're a bit cash-strapped this year, so we're going to start charging you another 50 quid to remove your bins, to take your rubbish away. That's what will happen. You know, we talked to you about ULEZ many, many years ago. We said, right here on Talk TV, if you let this happen in London, it will happen all over the country. And guess what? Now it's happening in Glasgow. Now it's happening in Newcastle. Now it's happening in Bristol. Now it's happening in Bath. Now it's going to happen in Manchester. And it's happening in Leeds. It's happening everywhere. Because when we say something's going to happen, it always does. And if you let the local councils get away with charging you to remove any sort of waste from your house, then that's a slippery slope, in my view. And the next thing you know, they'll be charging you to take your bins away. Trust me, this time next year, you give me a call and you say, do you know, Mike, you were right again. Again, of course I am. 0344-499-1000 is the number. Let's talk about work-shy people as well, uh, because apparently there are lots of jobs in different cities of this country. In Liverpool, there are 9,000 jobs averaging a payment of £34,000 a year. Manchester's got 22,000 jobs at £39,000 annual average wage. And Glasgow has got 11,000 jobs at an average of £35,000 a year, which is not bad money in Glasgow. But guess what? 19% of the population in Glasgow uh, are actually on out-of-work benefits. In Birmingham, it's 20%. Uh, in Liverpool, it's 21%. And in Blackpool, which is one of the poorest cities in the country, or towns, depending on what you want to call it, 25%. A quarter of their working-age population are on out-of-work benefits. Let's talk to Reem Ibrahim uh, from the IEA, uh, who can explain this for us. These are government figures, Reem. Very good morning to you. Good morning. So the government are telling us this. this is the Department of Work and Pensions figure. They're basically saying there are plenty of jobs in all of these cities, but there are more people who are deciding not to take those jobs. Why? 
Absolutely. I mean, we're looking at these figures now. It's effectively saying that one in five people in Glasgow, Manchester and Liverpool, these are working age people, are on out of work benefits. This is a huge, huge waste of human potential. I mean, we can talk about the waste of taxpayer money, the amount that we're currently spending on the welfare state. But actually, you know, at the crux of this is a huge waste of human potential. I suspect that many of these people aren't sick. We're talking about 5.4 million people. That is an astonishing figure. I suspect many of those people aren't actually sick. But if even if they are, the story here is that there are way too many people on those out-of-work benefits. It is either a failure of the welfare state, which I suspect it is, or it's a failure of the healthcare system. Yeah, I mean, according to the data that, that uh, the spectator has obtained from the Department for Work and Pensions, 7.6% of Glasgow is on incapacity benefit. 11.3% of the city is on the workless component of universal credit, which is what used to be job seekers allowance. So that means 19% of all uh, of all people available for work, almost one in five. And I mean, again, um, is it because the system is too complicated or too easy to navigate for people who want to swing the lead? Because I get told regularly by people whenever I talk about this, it's actually really hard uh, to get unemployment benefit or, you know, universal credit, whatever they want to call it. And some uh, offices are very, very, um, shall we say, impenetrable if you try to convince them that you're sick. Yeah, so it's those people that are on long-term sickness benefits. So you, to be counted as long-term sick on, on benefits, you've got to be on benefits for about a year. Yeah. After that year, you're no longer counted in unemployment figures. So I think that that's really the clear difference here. There's also the element of the fact that before the pandemic, the Department for Work and Pensions were actually auditing and looking at all of those people, checking and doing those sorts of assessments to make sure that they actually are incapable of working. Unfortunately, that, that kind of thing doesn't happen again. It went from between 200,000 assessments to a million uh, every quarter. Now that's down to about 300,000. So again, we're not doing the same sorts of assessments that we used to. And the problem would seem to be that um, people are being sort of dispatched into the dustbin of history as a result of this system, because according again to the spectator figures, the sickness benefit claims specifically for mental health result in loads of people just being written off and everybody just assumes, well, they can't work, so they'll never have to work. We'll never give them job offers. We'll never encourage them to do anything. And so they'll spend their lives probably on benefits. Yeah, and it really is cyclical with these particular individuals. So across the country, we're talking about 5.4 million people on out-of-work benefits. That just as a single figure is astonishing. And, you know, as you said, I mean, it really is a huge waste of human potential. These are people that could be doing fantastic things with their lives. We've got huge numbers of vacancies, as you've already outlined, especially in those three cities, Liverpool, Glasgow. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Go and Manchester, and yet people aren't being able to take up those jobs because A, the incentives aren't there. There aren't those incentives to go into those jobs rather than be on benefits. And I actually think that this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy sort of occurs. If you're being told that you are too sick to work and you're being accepted onto those benefits, of course you're not wanting to go back to work in the first place. Mm. You're being sort of told that you're incapable of doing that. And I think it's a huge, huge waste. It's awfully depressing. We need to get those people back into work rather than trying to fill up those vacant with cheap labour from abroad. Right, and that is what is being accused of, uh, the government's been accused of allowing to happen, which is that basically the migration figures go up and up and up. The jobless figures for the people who are living in this country already go up and up and up. Um, and never the twain shall meet. And it's being called the great sort of political dilemma because how can you fix that problem? How do you get that 20% of people back into work? And how do you stop so many people coming in to work for less money? We've got to hugely overhaul the welfare system. And, you know, we, we can't have our cake and eat it. We've, we've got to fill up those vacancies. And if it's not being done by people that already live in this country, that are already claiming benefits, then it has to be done by uh, through labour abroad. We, you know, it has to be done either way. Otherwise, we can kiss goodbye to any sort of vision of economic mm. growth. The, the, the solution to the system really is to get those people back into work. And that would be a, a huge overhaul of the system. We need to make sure that those people actually are fulfilling their human potential. So I would say actually a sort of um, huge overhaul, also bringing back those kind of assessments that the Department for Work and Pensions used to do, where they would audit those people and ensure that they actually are incapable of working. We've got to get back those systems, otherwise, you know, post-pandemic, we're going to see this ever-increasing number of people on out-of-work benefits. Mm, absolutely right. Reem, thanks very much indeed. Reem Ibrahim from the IEA, uh, the... Um Institute of Economic Affairs. Coming up, uh, we're going to be taking some calls, but also we're going to be talking to a councillor from Essex uh, who's going to tell us about what is going on in Essex with regard uh, to the school closures and why Essex seems to be particularly badly hit by the concrete crisis. But let's go back for a minute before we do that to why it's Glasgow, why it's Birmingham, why it's Liverpool, why it's Blackpool. Why is it those particular urban centres that have got the worst figures for people on out-of-work benefits? Anybody tell me? Answers on a postcard as you talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Got some great messages coming in. Uh, this one from someone who doesn't want to give their name but says, I work for a London borough and we don't work from home full time. It's not allowed. We work on a rotor for office attendance. Poor performance should be addressed. Our manager monitors our work and we have monthly one-to-one -one meetings to discuss. Reports are run weekly that show what work we've completed. Some staff unfortunately require micromanaging as they will try and take the mickey no matter where they are. As for working abroad, it's not something I've come across with my colleagues but would love to know why this was allowed and what were the circumstances to add to that personally i'd find working from home full-time wouldn't benefit my mental health i like to go into work and see people if there are failings in local authorities look at the management well how about this from charlie 75 percent of councils actually spent on less than five percent of the population through adult and children's social care it's not actually right that 75 percent of council uh, income from in, from council tax actually goes uh, on paying the staff and the pension fund for those particular staff. The spending is protected too and so cannot be cut. I know that a lot of it does go, uh, what's left of it, into children's social care. But 
But the huge bulk of council tax money doesn't go to the services at all. Only about a quarter of it does. And that is part of the problem. Um, but we'll talk about that in a moment because we're going to talk to Tony Ball from Essex County Council in a second as well to find out what the problem is in Essex. Essex seems to be unusually large in its number uh, of schools at risk because of this aerated concrete and the concrete crisis which is currently going on. But before we do that, let us just talk about what we know about Manchester, about Liverpool, about Glasgow and about Blackpool and why it would be that so many people are on out-of-work benefits. Around about a fifth to a quarter in Blackpool, certainly, uh, are people on out-of-work benefits. That means that they have said that they can't work for one reason or another. It could be that they've got an injury. It could be that they've got mental health issues. It could be that they're on universal credit uh, on the workless component of that, which used to be known as Job Seekers Allowance. You used to get Job Seekers Allowance for a limited period of time, and then you would have to get some kind of job, unless you decided, for one reason or another, that you weren't able to work. And the problem for me uh, is that it's in these areas where jobs are available. You know, it would be one thing to say, oh, there are no jobs in Glasgow, that's why so many people are on unemployment. Well, apparently, that's not true, because in Glasgow, there are at least 11,000 jobs currently going begging at an average pay of 35 grand a year. Liverpool's got 9,000, averaging 34,000. They can't fill them. Manchester's got 22,000 jobs for up to £40,000 a year. But somehow, people can't actually work because they don't want to and that is part of the problem isn't it because in the end the system has made it possible for people to actually work less and get more benefits there's no incentive anymore for people to actually get a proper job unless it's very well paid so I don't necessarily blame the people for not going back to work but I do blame the system it shouldn't be possible to make more money by not working than it is to work because then there's no incentive to go to work once you get into a pattern of not bothering to get up out of bed in the morning, once you get into a system of not being able to have to worry about having to pay your council tax or having to pay your rent, then you're not going to have to be out there making money to live. You don't need it. So they have to change the system, in my view. Otherwise, we will end up having a massive problem in this country where we have loads and loads of people who are milking the state, more and more people paying more and more tax in order to support those people who bring nothing to the party. And that can't be right, can it? 0344 499 1000. There's always people who ring me and say, it's not right. It's really hard to be on long-term benefits. Is it? Well, you tell me. Let's talk to Councillor Tony Ball from Essex County, County Council Cabinet. He's a member for Education and Excellence and Lifelong Learning. Um, Tony, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, looking at a map of what we believe to be the schools partially or fully shut uh, by the worries about this aerated concrete, there's an awful lot of them in Essex. Why is that? There's a couple of reasons. Um, one is, well, three reasons I can think of. One is Essex is a very large county, 550 schools um, in, in, in all. Mm. Uh, secondly, Essex did expand uh, quite considerably during the 50s, 60s and 70s when this uh, form of concrete was used. And what, what also, and I think the, uh, the Minister admitted to this yesterday, Essex has been particularly diligent in returning the questionnaires um, Essex schools have. So that's three reasons that I'm aware of why Essex has had the disproportionate um, amount of schools at the moment. So at the moment, what's the situation? Um, most schools, in, in, in my mind, go back either tomorrow or Wednesday, possibly not today. Um, how many schools, t to your knowledge, have been told they can't open? 
Well, there's varying degrees of can't open, limited opening, uh, postponement um, of a couple of days. And when we had, we had 50 schools on the on, on the government list in, in Essex, um, and there's slight complication, 14 um, were what's known as local authority maintained, and we're the response, Essex County Council was the responsible body for those. And 36 were Academy Trusts, where they are uh, the responsible bodies. But um, as of this morning, I can say that uh, 13 out of the 14 uh, local authority main schools will open next week. Um, of the academies, 17 will be fully open and uh, 11 partially open. But we're still waiting, because you imagine uh, school leaders in the academies are still working on uh, mitigation plans, what learning is going to be available mm. for the children. So we're still waiting on, on, on eight Right. Um, on, on what the arrangements are. OK. Just before I come back to you, uh, Tony, a bit of breaking news. Angela Rayner has been uh, given Lisa Nandy's old job as Shadow Secretary of State for levelling up housing and communities, which I have to say, a bit of a downgrade for Angela Rayner. Uh, we'll come back to that in a little while. She's replacing Lisa Nandy, of course, who presumably is going to get probably promoted. Tony, a lot of people are asking me on this concrete story, how is it that it's sort of happened now? It's a strange one in terms of the timing of it. We know uh, that we had a school collapse, in a roof collapse in 2018 down in Kent. That seemed to be when people were sort of alerted to the fact that this particular form of aerated concrete uh, could be a problem. What do you know or what, what have you been told about why it's taken until sort of more or less the last week for this to be discovered? Yes, you're correct. In 2018, uh, local authorities and government um, were made aware or, if you like, became more aware of the issues of RAC within our mm. schools. And then um, a survey regime was 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 implemented. I mean, what happened um, last week with the change of change of government policy was that during the uh, the summer break, uh, my understanding, three schools, not in Essex, um, where the um, inspections had deemed the RAC to be safe, uh, roofs uh, collapsed. And so the government changed its policy that the visual inspections of RAC that had been considered to be adequate um, would no longer be considered safe. Therefore, the government changed its policy that only those schools, uh, well, first of all, they published the list of schools um, who'd filled in the questionnaire um, uh, who, who had RAC. And then we were working through Thursday because some places had, uh, some schools had mitigation. We'd put mitigation in by support. And um, and then that that's and, and then we managed to, if you like, whittle the issue down. But it was a change of government policy mm -hmm. that visual inspections could not be considered to be, to be safe. Therefore, only phys physical. And what's um, your and what's your understanding, Tony, of the, the the financing of all of this? If in fact it turns out that several schools um, in Essex need to be refurbished in some way or repaired or reconstructed. Where do you understand that money to be coming from? Will it be coming from those individual schools' budgets or will it be coming from government? I met with the uh, with the Minister, Baroness Barron, on Friday um, and, and then with, with some Essex um, MPs and uh, she gave the commitment that all capital costs will be covered by the government um, through the Education Department or, 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 or whatever. Um, when it comes to revenue costs, um, schools do have the ability to apply to the education department, but um, they will be looked at differently, whereas capital costs mm. have been promised to be covered. Right. 
So that would be things like moving them somewhere or moving food supplies somewhere, stuff like that. So, yeah, OK. All right. Listen, good to talk to you, uh, Tony. Thanks very much. It's a moving story. So we may come back to you uh, later in the week. Councillor Tony Ball there uh, from the Essex County Council Cabinet uh, for Education Excellence uh, and Employability. So uh, clearly the shambles continues. Nobody's really sure what's going on. Uh, if you're a parent out there, I'd love to hear from you as to what you're being told. Are your kids going back to school? Are they not going back to school? Uh, are you worried that they shouldn't go back to school? Are you worried that they won't are you worried that you have to take time off work to look after them this is talk tv on the app on your smart speaker talk radio and talk tv Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Uh, lots and lots of you getting in touch about uh, the benefits situation. Lots of you getting in touch about the school situation as well. Uh, these civil servants are not working from home. They're shirking from home, says Glyn in Norwich. Well, they're not even from home doing it. They're doing it from a foreign country, for heaven's sake, uh, which is rather bizarre, isn't it? Terry in Birmingham says, Mike, isn't it ironic that we're spending billions on net zero for our children's future? Meanwhile, we allow them to be killed by asbestos or banged on the head by dodgy concrete. Well, there is some truth to that. Let's talk to Gareth Bacon, Conservative MP for Orpington, because net zero is going to be a big story this week. There's the energy bill going through Parliament being voted upon tomorrow. Uh, we've also got the fallout from the first week of ULES in London and some really interesting breaking news from Glasgow, uh, in which it turns out that actually the um, uh, the clean air uh, revolution has taken a bit of a backward step because the measurement of air pollution since this year to last year has actually shown that air pollution is now worse in Glasgow than it was before they put the ULES in. Gareth, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Um, I don't know if you've seen this figure from Glasgow, but it's rather startling that uh, they brought this uh, ULES um, um, situation in on June and July of this year. They measured it in June and July of this year, compared it to June and July of last year, uh, and the, 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 mm. the pollution and the particulates have actually got worse. Yes, I mean, I, I hadn't seen that statistic until you mentioned it just now. So uh, unfortunately, I can't really comment on that in detail, but it is something I'm going to go and study. I'd like to find out why exactly uh, this whizzy new measure in Glasgow has seemingly completely failed. Yeah, well, isn't it interesting? I mean, it's a piece that I've got here in the Telegraph in which it says that pollution levels of gases linked to traffic uh, rose by 10%. Uh, nitrogen levels uh, basically increased 34 micrograms per cubic metre between June and August of this year. This compared to a figure of 31 mm. micrograms in the same period last year, uh, a rise of 9.7%. And the legal limit is 40 milligrams. Uh, also, fine particulate matter surged by 11.5% over the same period. Um, it just goes to show you that, you know, it's not the be-all and end-all. We've said all along um, that ULES is not a method of actually cleaning the air. It's just a method of charging people to pollute it. Well, that's right. I mean, that's very much the message that I've been pushing out for uh, what it feels like for a very long time now. I mean, I first started talking about the dangers of potential ULES expansion to the outer London boundary when Sadiq Khan was elected in 2016 and I was on the London Assembly because I could see which way he was going with this. Um, and I could see at that time that all this was going to be was a tax to clobber poor people. Mm. Um, and I think probably in the last year or so, I think a great number of people have come around to that way of thinking. And I think there's, there's very little doubt. And I think you can see, I mean, whilst, of course, I don't condone the vandalism that has been taking place on the cameras, I can understand the frustration that leads to it because mm. people are feeling a gross injustice is being perpetuated against them. And I think, I mean, I've seen statistics that suggest that something like 90% of the cameras in my local borough have been uh, dismantled or destroyed. Um, and I think that that speaks volumes. And it's mm. not, my borough is not alone in that. I think the whole of outer London is rebelling against what they see as a great injustice. Yeah. I mean, politicians do in, in occasionally condone the acts of Extinction Rebellion and the acts of justice 
stop oil. There's a bunch of idiots, I'm, t I'm told today, mm. on Westminster Bridge uh, creating a stink and setting yeah. off uh, uh, flares and holding up traffic and all of that. Criminal activity, vandalism as well. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with not necessarily condoning, uh, but, but excusing, you know, the breaking of the law if it is for a purpose which is, shall we say, for the people's benefit. Well, I mean, I think we need to be very careful here because the law is the law. And, you, you know, if you're going to give a free pass to break the law in some way, then it, very, it becomes very difficult not to give a free pass in another. People can well, protest. Why, that's why it's uh, been so dangerous. Well, but that's why it's been so dangerous, Gareth, for so many people um, mm. in the judiciary, for example, and in the police to not arrest those who are, are breaking the law uh, when they're doing it in the name of climate change. I, I entirely agree with that. I mean, th these are sentiments that I've conveyed to uh, the most senior police officers, um, that they, their job is to police without fear or favour, and that means you don't go hard on one set of protesters, but easy on another, because you think that people are in tune with that particular belief. If you're wearing the, the king's uniform, your job is to uphold the law, regardless of what law-breaking is going on. Mm. Uh, and I think it's very important that we get back to that kind of approach. Other stories we're hearing, Gareth, I don't know if you are, uh, is that a lot of fines are being issued in the first week of you, Les, but it's a very sort yeah. of murky situation. I'm hearing about people getting fined um, mistakenly, uh, getting given tickets and, and, and charges for, for things that they didn't do, um, and, and I'm not sure where we are with all of that. What, what are you hearing? Well, I've heard that um, the equivalent of £700,000 worth of fines are being issued per day or have been in the last uh, week or so since the ULES has been in operation. Um, and I've heard that some people are being fined despite having compliant vehicles, which tends to suggest the system is not working in the way that it should. I've also heard that because of the level of vandalism that is being perpetuated against the cameras, that Sadiq Khan has sent out 20 vehicles uh, to park up in various hotspots uh, and take photographs of motorists as they're going by with the hope of being able to find them there. So, I mean, it seems very clear that the system isn't working as it should, that uh, Sadiq Khan is determined to fleece people as much as possible, and people's sense of injustice is rising. I, I think it's, it's profoundly wrong, and the mayor's made a terrible mistake in doing this. Yes. I mean, we're told that um, as, as many uh, as 100,000 petrol cars registered from 1999 to 2005 could be affected by the fact that cameras don't recognise their age or their model um, and it could mean that mm. fines are being wrongly issued to those cars. That's 100,000 yeah. car owners, that's a lot of people, a lot of money isn't it? Oh it's a tremendous amount and, and you know if, if these cars are not uh, ULES or if they are ULES compliant they shouldn't be issuing the fines in the first place mm. and it's all very well for Transport for London to say well it's okay because they can appeal the fine but the worry that you have if you're an owner of one of these vehicles that you don't know that you're subject to a fine until a fine arrives through mm. your door and it says you've got it's 180 pounds you can pay it off in 14 days uh, for 90 pounds if you appeal it you start to worry well what if I lose the appeal will they just add on a load of money am I going to have bailiffs turning up at my door um, so the injustice just perpetuates. It gets worse and worse and worse. Uh, and, you know, it's a half-baked scheme that's not really working out very well. And the mayor is doing it, as we know, and as we have said repeatedly, this is going to make almost no difference to air quality in outer London. It isn't about that. It's about raising money. And he's doing it off the backs of the poorest people, the people that can't afford to change their vehicles. And I think that is absolutely scandalous. Yeah, it really is absolutely ridiculous. And, I mean, is there any sign yet that uh, the, the Khan administration is going to witness that they might have gone a bit too early with this scheme and that they might actually not be able to, to make it work? No, I, I'm, I'm sad to say there's, there's no sign of that at all. I mean, we, we read over the summer 
Um, it emerged, uh, thanks I have to say largely to the very good work of GLA Conservatives and in particular Peter Fortune who is the uh, uh, Assembly Member for mm. Bexley and Bromley has obtained emails that show that Sadiq Khan's staff have been leaning on Imperial College to whom they've already paid £800,000 yeah. in grants. One section of Imperial College did analysis of the ULEs in central London and said that it only made a marginal difference. It reduced, I think it was Knox, by about 3%, whereas Sadiq Khan was boasting that it was closer to 50%. Uh, and then Shirley Rodriguez, who is the uh, Deputy Mayor, I believe, for Environment, uh, got onto another section of Imperial College and virtually wrote a press release for them to say that actually this is untrue and it's made a, a very big difference. I mean, they're doubling down on this. Mm. They're not interested uh, in, in rowing back on it. I just don't think it's in the Mayor's nature to do that. I think he's gone so far now that it would be a humiliation yeah. for him to pull out. So I think he's just going to keep it there. And he keeps repeating his rhetoric all the time about this is about saving lives. And yeah. we all know that it's not. Well, he keeps saying, you know, five million people are going to breathe cleaner air. Absolute cobblers. It's not true, i.e. it's yeah. a lie, isn't it? It's, yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's complete nonsense. I, I don't think the data backs that up. I mean, BS. I've been doing podcasts from various parts of my constituency, uh, one of which was uh, Cuddham. Uh, outside the Bricklayer's Arms. Now, I, I deliberately went to Cuddam because Cuddam is a Kentish village. Mm. I mean, if you look at my, uh, my tweet on it, you can see me standing there with village cricket going on in the background. You can see farmers' fields and hedgerows. And I did it to make a point. You know, this is technically it's within Greater London because it's in the London borough of Bromley, which is part of Greater London. But it clearly isn't London. Mm. The idea that they have bad polluting air there and that they're going to benefit from the ultra-low emission zone is absolute cobblers. Yeah. And I really don't think, I mean, I'd love to see if Sadiq Khan has ever been to places like that. I personally don't think that he has. He probably hasn't, no. I mean, he doesn't go anywhere without his uh, Range Rover in tow. Um, and anyway, if it's five, know, what an irony. five minutes away from, a, from a, an underground station, I don't think he thinks it's London anyway, does he? Just what, also, the idea that you can charge people who can't even vote for him seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Yes, that's a, that's a total scandal. I mean, the, the fact that people living in, say, Dartford will be hit by this if they travel to Sidcup, which is a journey of about six miles, um, but if they have a non-ULES uh, compliant vehicle, is complete, it's total scandal because they have no say over this. They can't vote him in or out, they have no say. And that's a total democratic deficit because this will have a very big impact on their standard of living. Mm. Uh, and they have no, no recourse, they have no say over it. And I think that, that is just profoundly wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And, right. and let's look at the, you know, if you look at the, the case for the ULEZ anyway, Sadiq Khan is saying that this is going to uh, alleviate London's poisonous air. How will paying £12.50 make London's air cleaner? I know. It won't. It just won't. It? It just won't. Um, Gareth, you and I are absolutely in agreement with this. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Conservative MP for Alpington, of course, where, you know, loads of parts of supposedly the new ULES expansion area are nowhere near London and they're nowhere near even built up. They are completely... I drive down and around that park quite a lot when I have to somehow avoid the, uh, the dreadful traffic on the motorways and around the M25. And, you know, it's beautiful, rural, you know, farmland, it's hedgerows, uh, as Gareth said, it is nothing like inner city London. A couple of more breaking news stories for you. Lisa Nandy has been appointed Shadow Cabinet Minister for International Development. Um, in a move that obviously changes her role from uh, levelling up, which is exactly what Angela Rayner was doing. Angela Rayner has said that she's still deputy um, uh, to Sir Keir Starmer, deputy leader. So apparently that hasn't changed. It's going to be an interesting conference season, I think, this season. Uh, also, more breaking news, 113 channel migrants crossed yesterday illegally. That would be Sunday, the 3rd of September. That's quite a low number. Uh, must have been uh, too busy sunning themselves on the beach. Probably went, nah, we'll go tomorrow. 
when it's not such a nice day. Uh, coming up, uh, Stephen Wolf will join us from the Centre for Migration and Prosperity. We'll find out what he's got to say. A lot of you saying uh, that you've been paying for garden waste for a long time, but it's suddenly going up. I uh, got one from Cliff in Basildon. Garden waste, £25 this year. Next year, 50 quid. Uh, in Wrexham, Charlie says, and we've been paying for the last three years to get our green bin emptied. It went up 10 quid this year to £35. This is outrageous. You shouldn't be paying it. Take a people's stand on this one and say, no, I'm not going to pay you for removing my green rubbish. Uh, you're going to take it away for nothing. On the app, on your smart speaker, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, lots going on, of course. Coming up at one o'clock, it's Ian Collins. Uh, he'll be here to take you through uh, the afternoon. Dennis in Dorset says this, uh, Sunak will never succeed. He is spineless and he's more interested in watching his back, looking for the knife he stabbed Boris Johnson with. And on top of the migrants, he's about to buy a trade deal with India by offering numerous visas. We need a leader uh, who will stop net zero, start fracking and reduce taxation. And the answer, I'm afraid, is not Sir Keir Starmer, uh, who is, of course, in the midst of rearranging his uh, shadow cabinet uh, to an awful lot of people, many of the names that you will hear being moved around you will never have heard of. Uh, here's one, Nick Thomas Simmons MP, uh, who apparently has been appointed shadow minister without portfolio. Bad news. Uh, you, haven't got, you haven't got a portfolio, uh, but never mind. At least you've got a job. Um, I don't know. We'll bring you more as it happens. Angela Rain is still deputy leader. That's all you need to know. Uh, coming up, though, let's talk some more about the Loch Ness Monster. You might remember Alan, uh, Alan, Alan McKenna was amongst uh, a group of people a couple of weekends ago, basically searching for the Loch Ness Monster. He's the founder of Loch Ness Exploration. Let's have a look at what he does. Hello, everybody. Uh, you're expecting sunshine over this weekend. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but as you can see, it's not stopping us. We're here. Smiling, having a great time. Uh, I mean, you don't want to be anywhere else. <laughs> you really don't. If you've never been to Loch Ness, it's impossible to explain what a brilliant place it is. Uh, I've spoken about this before. People have made fun of me because I think there is a monster. Alan's here with us. Alan, um, very good uh, afternoon to you. Thanks for joining us. I mean, I can't, I can't fault your enthusiasm there because, I mean, if you live in Scotland, I used to say to people, they used to play a lot of golf in Scotland. They said, what about the rain? I'm like, if you don't do things in Scotland because it's raining, you won't do anything. You'll basically not go out. So um, tell us about um, uh, the weekend and also tell us about the pictures that came out after the weekend, which were taken a while ago by somebody who said she was too frightened to show them for fear of humiliation. Yeah, which is a shame in itself. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely wee subject, the Loch Ness and the Loch Ness Monsters. No one should be worried or scared about posting pictures like you're seeing now. Yeah. Um, that's the toxic side of it, uh, and I, I stay away from any drama, any gossip. I'm not interested in it. So I, I think Mrs. Kelly was was great that she's actually came to Steve and she's shown these photos to Steve, and Steve's kind of advocating on her behalf. Right. Um, and you know, more power to her. That's great. I still don't know what these photos are. Right. Um, I, I think we're still waiting for the, the series of the. I think it's 15 altogether. Yeah. That were taken, perhaps. Um, and possibly when they all get released. I don't know, we can maybe form some sort of idea of, of what we're looking at here. But I've read all different, you know, theories already about it. It's a dinghy, it's black bin bags, it's... Right. I, I don't know. I mean, I personally can't see anything, you know, 
um, that jumps out to me at the minute. I'm not discrediting in any way, shape or form here, right. but they are intriguing. They're definitely interesting. So it'll be nice to find out what, what's actually going on here. Well, this is but, it. Um, I mean, I think if you take the view that it, that it is, if it exists, it's some kind of serpent-like creature. You know, there's any number of different ways that you could see that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many? I mean, you'll know yourself if you if you've looked into the mystery yourself over the years. Yeah, and uh, we know you have. It's uh, you'll know the, the morphology of the Loch Ness monster changes depending on who's looking at it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it, it's really interesting. But in terms of the weekends, it was you've seen the rain. It yeah. was unbelievable. Yeah. So it, much so, even the. Uh, you know that the, the Royal Highland Games were cancelled for the wow. first time in seventy-five years, right. but we we still went out. We still managed to do, hopefully, what we were sitting out to do with our volunteers. Now, I'll be honest; I don't think we reached the full capacity of our volunteers because of the weather. Yeah, um, and I don't blame them. I I wouldn't want to sit. And I mean, it wasn't just a wee drizzle; it was biblical it was rain. Proper, yeah. I mean, the good news, <laughs> I guess, for for you guys is that it it, it was a it was very well publicised. Everybody covered it. We had Charlotte Ivers in here last week, who went up to do a piece for the Sunday Times, uh, who had a mm-hmm. great time, you know. And I think I think as an event, I think you did very well. I mean, I probably got coverage around the world. I would imagine. Yeah, thank you. That means a lot. Um, we did. Yeah, we had teams coming over from Japan. It was great. It really was good. Canada, um, America. We had someone coming from Cuba, which really? was wow. <laughs> so, yeah. German teams, French teams, Italian. You know, it yeah. was really good. It was very, very overwhelming. I- I've never experienced anything like that before in my life. Um, so I'm quite glad that I'm not a celebrity. That's not for me. <laughs> and so, and so, is, have you got another event like that planned anytime soon? Yeah, we'll be going up again. Hopefully, later this month. Um, in the following months, we go up every month, really, right. to be honest. Okay. Um, but on that scale, um, we have been talking with the Loch Ness Centre to possibly make this an annual event um, where everyone get involved. That, yeah. that would be cool. Um, but in terms of research, I'm still going up there myself um, with some members of my team as well. Dick Rayner, again, has still been phenomenal with his support and his hydrophone equipment. He's been a great support. He's been fantastic. Right. And what's your own so, view of it all, Alan? I mean, you've obviously been working on this for a while. You've, you, you, you're, you're. I don't know if you're a local man originally, but you know, it's a magical place to me, Loch Ness. Even if you don't know that there's a monster, you don't believe that there's a monster. It's it, there, there's something about the place, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So, and I mean, I say this to so many people. Even it's. I mean, of course, I was first introduced because of the Loch Ness monster. Mm. Um, but in time, I started to learn more about the natural environment, the ecosystem, and that was through the Loch Ness Project with Adrian Shine. Um, and if it wasn't for Adrian, I don't think I would really be interested in the environment, if that makes sense. Right. And I was saying to a couple of reporters, I've, I don't understand how that man has made me excited about sediment. I don't get it. <laughs> but there's, there's something about his passion and his work that he's done that has, you know, it's... It's, it's contagious to everyone that, that meets him. Yeah. So, yeah, I would love to find the Loch Ness Monster, but that's not our, our sole purpose is there. Like, I, I want to go there as well to study the natural environment mm. of Loch Ness itself. And the noises we heard is, is one of these things where it, it was a whoopsie at the same time, but it, it the, the press kind of ran with it and said, oh, they forgot to plug it in. Right. But on the, on the Friday when we heard these noises, we weren't actually, that wasn't, part of the expedition we were just testing equipment with a documentary team right so we had tested the mp3 recorder we knew it was working so the time 
uh, we heard the noises. We were only testing the speaker, the PA system, where everyone could hear it. Right. Um, so we weren't recording. It was just a test. And that's when we heard these bizarre noises. Mm. But that could be anything, you yeah. know. But, but, that kind of all, but that all adds to it as well, because if you recorded it perfectly and it was a perfect sound and you could make a statement about what you thought it was, that, would be, that wouldn't be like the Loch Ness story. The Loch Ness story has got to be riddled with doubt and, you know, strangeness and, and odd things. And, you know, maybe it didn't record because, you know, the monster can't be recorded. I mean, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. It's, it's, that's the whole <laughs> point of the system. You know, it's the whole nine yards. I knew this when I was getting into it. I was like, I'm going to get some serious stick with this. Um, and I'm okay with that. I'm absolutely okay with that. Because we're up there. I mean, our last conversation you and I had, it was quite obvious that people and myself go up there because it is, it's an amazing place. Yeah. You don't have to go up there just for the Loch Ness Monster. The environment itself speaks to you in such a way that... Right. I don't know, it elevates you. I mean, that it video, does. I'm so sorry, that was so cheesy in that video. That's but great, I though. was in my element. I was no, in total listen, element. <laughs> you, should ne- you should never want not want to be like that. It was brilliant. Listen, Alan, great to see you again. Thank you very much indeed. Alan McKenna, founder of Loch Ness Exploration. There'll be another one if you want to take part in it. We'll let you know how and when. Maybe we should go up there, do a show. Loch Ness Special. Uh, on the Independent Republican Mike Graham. We shall see. Coming up, though, Steve Denyer's here from Virgin Radio, and we've got a little announcement to make. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.